السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. Can someone just give me a mic check, please? Make sure that uh, everyone can hear me okay. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد So welcome to another class with QP Quranic Progression and today inshallah ta'ala is going to be our final lesson of the tafsir of Surah Al-Duha and our penultimate lesson of this year so we have one final lesson left for next week inshallah ta'ala and as you can see in the comments in the chat uh, next week's lesson will be at 8.30 p.m. UK time. So 8.30 p.m. UK time. That's because the clocks have changed in the UK and Maghrib is uh, is coming later and later. So next week, Maghrib will be around 8 p.m. So therefore, our class will, inshallah ta'ala, begin for 8.30. And that's only for next week because that's our final week, inshallah ta'ala. And on that point as well, next week's class is going to be a special. So today, inshallah, we will finish the tafsir of Surah Al-Duha. Next week, inshallah ta'ala, will be a a special that we will do which will be our final lesson uh, and our special uh, next week will be uh, as we did last year in, in the final lesson of the year it will be something which will then go on and relate to and connect with uh, what I am inshallah ta'ala planning to do this Ramadan and for those of you that remember last year last Ramadan we did a reading and commentary of Tafsir uh, Al-Jalaleen Tafsir Al-Jalaleen by the two famous Imams Jalaluddin Al-Mahalli and Jalaluddin Al-Suyuti Alihima Rahmatullah this year, inshallah ta'ala, the idea is to begin the reading and commentary of another amazing work of tafsir, and that is the tafsir of Shaykh Abdurrahman ibn Nasr al-Sa'di, rahimahullah ta'ala, famously known as tafsir al-Sa'di. It is called, its full name is Taysir al-Kareem al-Mannan. Taysir al-Kareem al-Mannan fi tafsiri kalam al-Mannan. That's its original title, its full title, but it is often referred to and most well known as tafsir al-Sa'di. Rahimahullah Ta'ala by the famous scholar Shaykh Abdurrahman ibn Nasr al-Sa'di who's from the teachers of Shaykh Al-Thaymeen Rahimahullah and so next week what we're going to do is we're going to go through as an introduction to that series and it also falls into what we usually do as part of our specials where we speak about some of the scholars of tafsir or authors of tafsir and, and, and some of their methodology in, in their works of tafsir then it's going to be an introduction to the series in Ramadan but it's also going to be inshallah Ta'ala something which we can benefit from in terms of our specials so it will be a uh, biography half the lesson will be like a biography of the sheikh rahimahullah and the other half will be a look at his methodology in his tafsir the tafsir of imam al-sa'di is a very long tafsir it is in the english language and it's available in english it's available as a pdf online but it's also available to purchase it is 10 volumes so unlike last year where tafsir jalalain was a single volume and yes it was a thick volume it was quite a, a hefty book but it was still a single volume. And so we were able to make good pace and keep up with the days of Ramadan and finish the whole of that book, alhamdulillah, before the end of the month of Ramadan. It will be extremely difficult to do that with Tafsir al-Sa'di because if you were just to do a simple comparison, Tafsir al-Sa'di is three times longer than Tafsir of Jalalain. Three times longer. So, uh, you know, like the, the number of pages that, that Jalalain take for a single juz the tafsir of Sheikh Sa'adi is around three times the length. And that's because of the different style of tafsir, is it? And we'll come on to this in more detail next week. I don't want to spend too much time going into this. And so the idea this year is not to make it a, a, um, 
you know, a, a full and complete reading, but to do as much as we can, maybe two to three volumes or whatever we can do, inshallah, and then we continue next week, next year, inshallah, and then we continue until we finish the book. And the idea, bi'idnillah ta'ala, is that this becomes a series so that we read the major works of tafsir that have been translated or available in English language. So we've done Jalalain, inshallah, we will do Sa'di, and then after that we will move on to another one. And so this, inshallah, will be something which nicely complements what we're doing with QP, because I know that QP is something which is long and takes time to go through and you know the pace that we set is a very different pace but at the same time we also need to understand the rest of the Quran and have a firm grasp and understanding and so we kind of merge between the two styles and and that's something specifically for the month of Ramadan as being the month of Quran the other major change in terms of what we did last year is that this year inshallah the tafsir sessions instead of three hours will be two hours so they're also going to be shorter sessions and simply because last year was a, uh, a time when everyone was off. It was like the UK was in lockdown. I think the majority of the world at the same time was in lockdown because of COVID-19. But this year is a very different situation. Schools will be open. People are going to school. People have, you know, work. Uh, things in the UK are starting to reopen again now after our previous lockdown. And so because of that and people's different responsibilities and duties and so on, the three hours doesn't necessarily, uh, may not necessarily be, uh, convenient for everyone and so it's still going to be around the same time as it was last year in terms of UK time but it will be a two-hour session instead of three hours and therefore people who do miss it or can't attend the whole thing then inshallah I hope that it will be uh, I hope that it will be uh, you know that, that it will be something which people can catch up on later in the evenings and the mornings and and so on and so um, the timing is not yet confirmed but inshallah ta'ala it will be soon uh, that's going to be broadcast on, on Green Lane Masjid. So as as you know, last year I did that through Green Lane Masjid and it was broadcast live on the YouTube page and so on. And so that's it's going to be the same thing. So if you keep an eye on their Facebook page and their social media or if you're following them anyway, uh, then inshallah ta'ala that will be uh, done. And once it's, um, you know, once it's agreed and it's been confirmed, then inshallah ta'ala is something which I will put up on my social media as well. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention before we begin is that I want to say Jazakallah Khair for, uh, to everyone who filled in the survey and to remind everyone who has yet to fill in the survey to please do so. So if you haven't filled in the survey from last week which was our Quranic progression feedback survey after three years, uh, I wanted you inshallah ta'ala, you still have time, like there's no deadline for this per se. Uh, if you haven't been able to get around to it then please do so. And I will speak inshallah ta'ala about that towards the end but generally Speaking, alhamdulillah, I appreciated everyone's feedback. You know, I appreciate everyone taking the time and, and, the, and making the effort. And there's no right or wrong answer. You know, you may feel a certain way about the class. It's not about offending me or, or, or pandering to what I may like. The point is to give honest feedback so that, inshallah, we can mutually help and benefit one another. Um, the final announcement that I have to make before we, inshallah, continue is that I'm going to be sending another survey out. Uh, I'm bombarding you with survey. Uh, with surveys. Uh, this is going to be a, a volunteer request. The volunteer request is, is going to be, inshallah, it will be on the Telegram groups. It will be a, a, a Google form uh, that, that is only for those people that are interested in coming forward and volunteering uh, in one way or another. Now, the reasoning behind this is, alhamdulillah, we have already an amazing group of volunteers from our transcribing team to people like Shazad in, in the background and the technical team and, and other people. The idea behind this is that we the idea for QP has always been that we don't we don't just do our weekly lessons of tafsir but that we have a more holistic approach in terms of what we produce at the end and so you know alhamdulillah we have the videos 
we have the audio podcasts, we have the transcribed full notes, we have, you know, the, from last year, the reading of Jalalain was transcribed completely as well. The, transcri the transcribing team did an amazing job, and inshallah, it will be the same this year, we hope. And and so we have, like, so much, and then, you know, we have the snapshots and the summaries and those salah reminders and everything that's that's been going on. We need people to come forward now to take what we have, which is the basic stuff, and, and to help us in certain ways. So one of the ideas has always been, so for example, if we look at just the transcribed notes, we've now finished the Qisar al-Mufassal. That could be put together now as a volume. It could be put together as a book that would benefit everyone. It's not just for QP students, it's for, for people. And that's not necessarily going to be everything that we have in the transcribed notes. It will be an edited version, which will be good for people to benefit from. And it will be free and, and, and available for people to benefit from, from inshallah ta'ala. But in order to do that, it's a, a, a mammoth task. And I know that there are people that will be listening to this and follow us on, on QP who have a wide variety of skills that we can benefit from. So we need people like editors, and we need people who can typeset, and we need people who can, for example, do graphic design for cover designs. We, we need people to come forward to help with the transcribing and to everything else that we do. So you know, I don't want to just put the same stuff on the, on the few shoulders of the three or four, five, six people that are doing everything at the moment. This is a collective thing. And the more people that come forward and help us, inshallah ta'ala, the more that we are all able to benefit one another in having the sadaqah jariyah. And if you can help in any way, small or great, then please, inshallah, give us your details, fill in that form, and we will contact you, inshallah ta'ala, at the appropriate time with, uh, you know, seeking, seeking your assistance in what we need. And the more people that we have and the more expertise that we have, then inshallah, the more professional a job that we can do. And so uh, that's the reason why we're doing this. And so, you know, there's, there's different requirements or there's different um, roles that we have in mind but you may be able to offer us something else right, that we haven't thought of. And so if you think that there's something that we can benefit from, there's something that you could help with, then inshallah ta'ala, please do get in touch and let us know. And so I'll be sending that out inshallah ta'ala on the Telegram group uh, within the next couple of days or so inshallah ta'ala. Okay, so let us continue with our tafsir of Surah Al-Duha and we're going to continue with verse number eight. So last week we did, I think, around three verses. We covered the verse from the beginning of the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وَلَسَوْفَ يُعْطِيكَ رَبُّكَ فَتَرْضَى And you will be given by your Lord until you are pleased. And we mentioned that some of the scholars said that what is being referred to is the provision of the dunya. And the majority of the scholars were of the opinion that it is referring to the provision of the akhirah. And from the scholars who combined between the two and said that actually includes both was Ibn al-Qayyim ta'ala. So he said it is from the good of the dunya, be that Khadija radiallahu anha and her wealth and the good that she brought to the Prophet sallam in terms of her wealth and her prosperity will be that uh, everything else that the Prophet sallam had in this dunya from the khayr and from the rizq and from the barakah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to him all the way up to what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam received on yawm al-qiyamah from the many blessings that Allah azza wa has stored for him and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives as we said after mentioning how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the Prophet sallam and cares for him with this divine care and attention, Allah Azza wa gives a number of reasons why that should be or why that should be believed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that didn't this happen to you? And does and, and if you pay attention to those issues, you know clearly that you have not been forsaken or abandoned. And so Allah Azza wa says, Alam Didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala find you as an orphan and take you in? So and we mentioned that some of the scholars of Tafsir, or most of the scholars of Tafsir, said that that orphan 
status is referring to the Prophet's actual status as of being an orphan as a child, how his father passed away when he was extremely young, and some narrations say even before he was born, and his mother passed away when he was also fairly young. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him that. And other scholars mention other opinions as well, but that is the strongest of them. And then Allah Azza wa Jal says, And we found you astray, misguided, neglectful, depending on which translation you choose, and we guided you. And we said how many of the scholars of tafsir were of the opinion that the meaning of that type of misguidance is not the misguidance that we normally think of, but the word dal in this context means someone who is unaware, doesn't necessarily know the path, but at the same time doesn't partake in the actions of the people of Quraysh. And we mentioned some examples of that, and others said uh, that it's referring to the Prophet being a child and being lost and then you know being found and, and other narrations that you will find as well. But the one that we mentioned seems to be the strongest of them and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. So in verse number 8, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَوَجَدَكَ عَائِلًا فَأَغْنَى Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Did he not find you in need and make you self-sufficient? And Mufti Taqi says, And he found you in need and made you need-free. In Muhsin Khan, and he found you poor and made you rich. And Sahih International, he found you poor and made you self-sufficient. And really the issue that you will find here, or the point of, uh, that requires explanation is the meaning of the word a'il. An a'il can mean two things, which is why you find two different, generally speaking, two different tafsir amongst the scholars, the early scholars. The first of them is that the word a'il can refer to a family. So we found you as someone who has dependents, someone, people who rely upon him. And we know that the Prophet wasallam at the time of his prophethood was a father and a husband. And his children were relatively young. He had daughters that, the, that he was looking after, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, chose this as the position that he chose. He says, the meaning of a'il is dhu iyal. And the meaning of the word iyal is someone who is dependent upon you. right? And that's the word a'ila comes from that same root word. But the other meaning of a'il, and that's the one that was chosen by, uh, by others from amongst the scholars of the Arabic language and also from some of the scholars of of tafsir and it is the one that you find the translations referring to then they say that it refers to poverty the word a'il is someone who is poor that's what it refers to it refers to faqr it refers to being poor and you can see how in the arabic language the root word benefits both because the one who is who is or the one who has a family within that meaning is also a dependency and a need because that's why you have a family. The family depends, or the members of a family depend upon one another, and they especially depend upon their parents if they are young in age. And so those are the two meanings that you have. It, he was someone who possessed a family, and Allah Azza wa Jal gave him rizq, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gave him wealth, or that is referring to his general state of being poor, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gave him wealth. And that's why Muqatil said that we gave to you or we made you pleased by giving to you rizq. And the Shaykh Abdurrahman ibn Sa'di, he said in his tafsir, we gave to you wealth by opening up to you, opening up for you the different lands that you conquered and you, will be able, you were able to benefit from the war booty and the taxes that were taken from them. Another meaning that you will find is that the meaning of the word a'il is poverty, but not materialistic poverty. It is the poverty of the soul, spiritual poverty meaning not knowing, or not, uh, or being someone who is poor in heart. And then Allah Azza wa Jal gave him the wealth, meaning contentment of 
the heart, right? And that was the position that was chosen by Ibn Ata. And it's the one that seems to be the position that Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala is also leaning towards. Because Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir of this verse, he, as he often does, is he brings a number of narrations that he considers to be closest to the meaning of what this uh, what this verse is referring to. So for example, he mentions the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu an in Al-Bukhari in which the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, لَيْسَ الْغِنَى عَنْ كَثْرَةِ الْعَرْضِ وَلَكِنَّ الْغِنَى غِنَى النَّفْسِ Wealth is not about having a great deal and a great amount of possessions, but true wealth is the contentment or the wealth of the heart, which is meaning contentment, right? True wealth or true richness is the richness of the heart. And he also mentions the narration of Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu anhu, in Sahih Muslim, that the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he is successful, the one who accepts Islam and the one who has been given as his provision contentment and he is pleased with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to him, right? And so Ibn Kathir also seems to uh, to go towards that. But Al-Baghawi and Al-Shawkani and many others said that it refers to an actual poverty in wealth in many terms and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him wealth. And then, you know, Al-Sheikh uh, Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti says that if that's the meaning, then Allah gave him wealth in many different ways and forms. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the wealth of his uncle when he was a child. Abu Talib spent upon him and looked after him. And so Allah made him, uh, gave him richness or gave him wealth or provided for him in that way. And then afterwards, through the wealth of his wife Khadija, radiyallahu anha. And then after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made hijrah to Medina, it was the Ansar and their wealth. And before them, Abu Bakr radiallahu anh, and his wealth that he spent upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and then what the Ansar of Medina generally spent upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, be that for the masjid or be that for other things. And then after that, the Prophet starts to become more independent because he takes from the taxes and the war booty after, for example, the battles against Banu Nadir and the Battle of Hunayn and other such battles. And then Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin rahimahullah ta'ala says, but in also in reality, the, the, the reality is that the Prophet ﷺ was wealthy well before all of this came into existence. And that is because the wealth that Allah is also referring to is the wealth of the heart. And that is contentment. And so the Prophet ﷺ was rich of heart even before he was given wealth during his lifetime ﷺ. And that's why he says that the Prophet ﷺ, despite having all of that money come to him eventually, he had wealth that came to him and he had all of that war beauty that came to him. The Prophet ﷺ was amongst the most generous of people. And he was still poor despite receiving all of that because what the Prophet ﷺ is essentially doing with all of that is that he's giving it away in sadaqah. He's spending it. He's distributing it amongst the needy and amongst the poor. And as we will you know, undoubtedly hear in the next couple of weeks, that famous narration of Ibn Abbas concerning the Prophet ﷺ's generosity, especially in the month of Ramadan. Ramadan. The Prophet was the most generous of people and he was at his most generous in the blessed month of Ramadan. And so that shows that the Prophet his contentment of the heart, his richness of the heart is far before any type of richness of the dunya materialistic possession. Because a person who is truly content in their heart and happy with what Allah has given to them isn't attached to the wealth of the dunya. And so when it comes to them in great amounts, they are able to, if they wish to, spend it in great amounts in sadaqah, as the Prophet did, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Whereas when someone, even if they have wealth in their hands, but in their hearts they are poor, in their hearts they are still poor and needy, 
then they are miserly and stingy and they hold on to that wealth every penny and every pound because for them to spend even a small amount despite the vast quantity that they will still have left over it is something which is difficult for them and Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala is from amongst the scholars who chose the combination of the two they reconciled between both opinions and he said and the correct of those of the correct position in the tafsir of this verse is that it includes both types of richness richness of physical or material wealth and the richness of the heart Ibn Qayyim then says but the meaning of al-ghina in the Arabic language which is you know the word ghani or ghina means richness or wealth he says the actual meaning of ghina within it in its context or in its you know in the meanings within embedded within that word is that you must have complete and full possession of something so ghina is to fully and completely own and possess something and he said and that is why the name al-ghani is only given to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because everything besides Allah doesn't really and fully and completely own anything so the wealth that you have yes it's yours but do you fully and completely own that wealth it is yours for a temporary amount of time and then you will die and you will pass on or it gets spent or it gets taken you don't fully own that wealth it is not something which is your possession and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is al-ghani subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is I thought a very nice point of benefit that he brings rahimahullah ta'ala as he often, often as he often does within his tafsir so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verses uh, 6 7 and 8 Allah gave to us these three principles or if you like these three reasons or evidences as to why and to show how Allah loves our prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam didn't we find you as an orphan and we took you in didn't we find that you were lost and we guided you didn't we find that you were poor and we enriched you and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the last three things he gives a three calls to action now that you understand these three things that we gave to you from the greatest blessings that Allah bestowed upon you then how should you react what should you do with them and this shows to us a very important principle in our religion and that is that from the greatest ways of doing good deeds and showing uh, gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his blessings is to use those very blessings in ways that are pleasing to Allah azza wa jal. so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will speak about how the Prophet was an orphan and then Allah will command him to do something with the orphans and Allah azza wa jal will speak to him or remind, reminded him of his situation of being lost and then Allah azza wa jal refers to what he should do to others who are lost and then Allah azza wa jal refers to his wealth or reminds him of the wealth that he had and then Allah azza wa jal speaks to him and instructs him regarding the blessings that he has right and those are the principles so if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you money then that's a blessing that Allah gave to you so what do you do with that blessing it is more if you like of an obligation upon you to know more about that wealth and to do with it better than someone who's poor doesn't have that same amount of wealth and similarly someone who has more knowledge as opposed to someone who has less knowledge or someone who has skills that they can offer in ways that other people cannot offer in that same way and so Allah Azzawajal says in verse number 9 so do not be harsh with the orphan and that is the tafsir or the translation of uh, Professor Abdul Halim Mufti Taqi therefore as for, uh, as for the orphan do not oppress him and Muhsin Khan therefore treat not the orphan with oppression and in Sahih International so as for the orphan do not oppress him and all of them kind of come back to the same meaning 
Uh, Ibn Ashur, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says that the fa, right, is to show what should not happen. Right? This is a fa that shows that now that you understand this, what should be the result? Right? What should be the repercussion? And the amma is to show the meaning that mahma yakun min shay, irrespective of whatever your circumstances may be. So when you add the two together, the meaning is that now that Allah has reminded you or you understand or you acknowledge those blessings that Allah has given to you, then irrespective of everything else, this is how you should behave. And that's a very beautiful um, meaning in the Arabic of that verse. And I want, to, I want us to understand this point because it is important. The Prophet is not being told that you don't have to spend or spend only when you have money. And when you don't have money, you don't have to spend. You don't have to look after the orphan. You don't have to look after the poor. You don't have to concern yourself about them because you yourself are struggling. Nor is he being told, for example, that only speak about your blessings when you have blessings. Or only help those who need help when you're in the position to be able to do so. Meaning that, for example, you know, if someone asks you for wealth, that you give to them when you have that ability only. No. The meaning that Allah is saying is whatever situation you're in, then do what you can to the best of your ability. So what you are able to do, you do. And so if someone comes to you and you can't help them, or as we will come on and we will see, if you can't help them openly, or if you can't help them openly, then help them. If you can help them a little bit, then you help them a little bit. And if you can't even help them, you have nothing to offer to them, then at the very least, when you refuse, refuse in a way that is polite, that is considerate, that doesn't make them feel bad or unwanted. And so this is what the Prophet ﷺ is being instructed to do. And this shows you the beauty of our religion, but also the importance of having that high level of character and akhlaq and how difficult that is to do. When people come and they ask and they want stuff from you, to be able to even refuse in a polite and good way is something which is important in Islam. Al-Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that Allah reminds his Prophet ﷺ concerning the orphan, and he says concerning them, then don't in any way oppress them and don't in any way remove any of the rights that belong to them. And this was also the position of Qatada rahimahullahu ta'ala, that the meaning of la taqhar means do not be, do not oppress them. Right? And the meaning of taqhar, some of the scholars said, because there is a reading of this, which is shad, but one of the readings of this verse is with a kaf. Taqhar and takhar with a kaf. And some of the scholars said that one is with an action, that you refuse someone by action, by force, and the other one is by speech, right? And that's what it's referring to. So don't be harsh towards them, whether that be by oppressing them physically, or whether that's by you doing something which, or speaking to them in a way that is unbefitting. Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala said, be towards the orphan as a merciful father. Uh, and Mujahid rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned the other opinion, that there is a two readings, one of them is with a qaf, and one of them is with a... Kaf. Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala he said well, as I mentioned uh, shortly or a short while ago how those three verses that we just did right, the verses that we just covered previously which were verses 6, 7 and 8 how they correspond to verses 9, 10 and 11 so Allah Azza wa he says uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said Alam and then in response Allah says to him and Allah Azza wa Jalla says, وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًا فَهَدَى And in response then, وَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ فَلَا تَنْهَرُ And وَوَجَدَكَ عَيْلًا فَأَغْنَى And in response, وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ 
فحدث ابن كثير رحمه الله تعالى says that just as you were once an orphan and Allah عز وجل took you in then likewise be gentle towards other orphans and do not do anything that will in any way harm them or oppress them but rather be good towards them and gentle towards them and Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specified a orphan in this verse because the ruling doesn't just apply to the orphan it applies to the poor it applies to the needy it applies for example if there's a woman who's a widow and she's in need all of those people that fall within that general category all of them apply but Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah said that the reason why the orphan is being mentioned by by name here or he's the one or the orphan is the one that is being pinpointed as the example emphasized is because of number one the history of the prophet himself which shows that when you come from a background or you have a history or you have an experience then you are better able to empathize and sympathize with those who are in similar situations and it is difficult for a person who perhaps hasn't come through that same upbringing hasn't come through that same journey to be able to fully appreciate they can try and they can make an effort, but they to fully appreciate what that person has come through, someone has to have walked in something very similar or in their footsteps before them. And so the Prophet was a orphan and is being told that therefore treat other orphans the way that you would like to be treated. And if you take that, then you can correlate or you, or you can deduce from that the way that you treat other people who are in a similar situation. So I may not have been an orphan, but I may, for example, have experience poverty at some point in my life I may not for example be poor but I have people in my family who are extremely sick and ill and I've seen them go through hardship in that regard so whatever it is that you are doing you can uh, appreciate what other people have been through and extrapolate from your own situation to theirs and he says the other reason is because the yatim the orphan usually doesn't have anyone to protect them except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often and especially in the time of the Quraysh the orphans were people who weren't given many rights and they didn't really have people looking out for their best interests and helping them. And so Allah Azzawajal specifies them for that reason as well. Uh, Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin Shanqiti rahimahullah ta'ala, he has a very nice passage in the tafsir of this verse and he says that if you were to bring all of the different verses in the Quran together that speak about the orphan, we will find that Allah Azzawajal mentions the orphan in one context or another in over 20 times in the Quran, over 20 different verses in the Quran, Allah Azza wa speaks about the orphan, which shows to you the fact that it's repeated so so many times in the Quran. Repetition is a form of emphasis and importance amongst the Arabs. And he says that essentially they come back to five things that Allah Azza wa refers to. And that is that you should always do good to the orphan in terms of their wealth. Number two, that you remove harm from them in their wealth. Number three, that you do good towards them in, in their emotions, in, in the way that you emotionally make them feel because they have no parents and they don't have anyone else to look after them. Number four, that you remove harm from them in that aspect, in the way that it would affect them emotionally, their feelings and what it would be. And then finally, he says number five is when it comes to marrying them off, when it comes to their marriage. Because if that person is under your custodianship, your guardianship, you're the one looking after their affairs, then now the time of, of, them, uh, of them when it comes to Either they're being reaching the age of maturity, right? Because many of the Arabs in that time would get married at the age of maturity. You got married very soon after. Or that is referring to actual marriage. So he says, for example, being good towards the orphan in terms of their wealth. 
right, and only doing what is good for their wealth. He says, for example, the verse in the Quran, قُلْ مَا أَنْفَقْتُمْ مِنْ خَيْرٍ فَلِلْوَالِدَيْنِ وَلَقْرَبِينَ وَالْيَتَامَى Say to them that which you spend of good is for your parents, your relatives, and the orphans. So Allah Azza is enjoining upon us to look after the interests of the orphan in the wealth that we give. One of the best forms of sadaqah that you can give after your parents and after your family and after your relatives is to the orphan. And Allah Azza wa the other context of keeping harm away from the wealth of the orphan is like in the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا مَالِ الْيَتِيمِ إِلَّا بِالَّتِهِ أَحْسَنٍ and do not come near the wealth of the orphan except in a in the best of ways right so don't approach their wealth except unless and unless you have good intentions uh, of doing so and then when it comes to their emotional side allah azawajal says that don't harm them for example in the verses that we took already in surah ma'un right remember what we said concerning that verse those people who deny the day of resurrection, Allah Azza described them as being those people who harm the orphan, push them away, right, oppress them. So Allah Azza isn't referring now just to their wealth and that aspect, but it's referring to their feelings and their emotions and the way that they are looked upon and treated. And when it comes to the, the Sharia or the Quran enjoining good towards them, then Allah Azza says, "Wala ta'abud, la illa Allah Only worship Allah alone. Be good towards your parents, to your relatives, and to the orphans. And in the final example of the fifth category of when it comes to their, them reaching the age of maturity or marriage, In the verse in, at the beginning of Surah An-Nisa, and Allah says, And test the orphans that are under your care until they reach the age of maturity. In the word nikah here, refers to maturity and that is one of the ways that the Arabs express maturity that they're at the age of marriage by maturity and if you find within them that maturity then give to them their wealth that belongs to them in verse number 10 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says so this is the one now this corresponds with which verse the verse in which Allah said and you were lost O Prophet and we guided you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says or in the translation of Abdul Halim, and do not chide the one who asks for help. And Sahih International, as for the petitioner, do not repel him. Mufti Taqi, as for the beggar, do not scold him. Muhsin Khan, and repulse not the beggar. Repulse not the beggar. And so this is, um, you know, these are the, these are, if you like, the translations that you have. What I want us to, to focus on, though, is perhaps Abdul Halim's is the one that is the most uh, the most actually let me just see something but I think his is the one that is the most wide and the most general right the most wide and the most general and so or, or maybe even Sahih International as well the one who asks for help so the question really here is the word Sa'il what does it refer to the one who asks and Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala he said as for the one who asks you for any need then do not chide him, meaning do not repel him, but rather do what you can in order to fill, fulfill it. Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala said, do not reject the one who comes to you for help, but rather give to them in the best of ways. Uh, and the, the issue basically here is what it's referring to, as you can see also from the translations, is that the word sa'il, the scholars of tafsir, interpreted in two different ways. The first of them is the one who asks, meaning for money the beggar, 
the one who asks, right? the one who stretches their hand and they want wealth. In which case, verse, the previous verse that spoke about the, uh, the orphan was a specific example of someone who is in need and in poverty and requires that type of help. And this verse is a more general uh, expression of the same principle, but this time referring to everyone else as well. So anyone who comes and asks for your help financially. So that's someone who's poor, right? not just the orphan, someone who's poor, someone who's a beggar, someone who's needy, the widow maybe, perhaps if they are in need, other diff different types of people who will come and seek financial assistance from you. Those people don't reject. Right? Don't, don't reject, meaning that don't reject them in a way that is bad. So if you can give them money, give it to them. If Even if it's a small amount, give them a small amount. If they come and they ask from you something and you don't have anything, you can't give it to them, it's not in your ability to do so, then you refuse in a polite way. You, you turn them away in a polite way. That's one tafsir. The other tafsir is that what it's referring to is knowledge. And as for the one who asks meaning he asks you concerning knowledge. He asks you concerning the religion. He asks you concerning guidance. He wants to learn or she wants to learn. So they want to learn about Allah, about the Quran, about the Prophet about the halal and the haram. Such person you shouldn't turn away. You should help them to the best of your ability and to the best of your knowledge or guide them to someone who is more knowledgeable than you. right? And, that's, and those scholars who chose this position, by the way, they said that this is because if you take that position of Ibn Atiyah, as we said, the corresponding verses, one verse with another verse and so on, then the verse that speaks about the Prophet being lost and guided, or as we said was the opinion of the majority, is that he didn't know guidance, meaning guidance of what the Sharia, the halal, the haram, the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if it's corresponding to that particular context, then the one who asks the context that most fits that is which one? It's the one that refers to the Prophet being the one who is asked a question about religion. And so therefore, you know, those scholars will say that Allah has already dealt with the poor and the needy. In the previous verse, the yatim that is mentioned in the previous verse is not exclusive. It is by way of example. The yatim, the orphan, is an example of someone you don't oppress. It doesn't mean that you can oppress other people, right? That's not the way that it is understood. But the, the yatim is the one that is mentioned by way of example because usually it is that type of person that is most in need and most without anyone to look after them or support them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse, uh, and so that's that's one So you have two positions here essentially. The first is that it's referring to that you don't re re refuse the one who comes for wealth, asking for money. This is a position of uh, Qatada and others, rahimahumullah, and it's mentioned by a number of the scholars with tafsir. And then the other position is the one that Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, seems to have chosen. And it's the position that you will find is reported as being the position of Sufyan, uh, Sufyan al-Thawri and the likes of al-Hassan al-Basri. And it's even ascribed to some of the companions such as Abu Darda radiallahu an. And that is that they refer to it as being an act of knowledge. So the one who comes to you seeking guidance, you don't repel them. Right? And I think that that is a good tafsir. And there is no reason why both meanings cannot be incorrect and we can't, you can't incorporate both of them. But the added meaning that you find here is not one that most people often mention when it comes to the tafsir of this verse or when it comes to the you know reflections on this on this particular surah they don't they think about it only in terms of the wealth and that restricts the meaning somewhat but actually if we say that it's referring to also people who seek knowledge who desire to learn who want to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then that gives you a far greater meaning and Allah azza wa knows best 
And then we come to the final verse of this surah, and that is the verse, وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثْ And this verse, in, or in this verse, um, Professor Abdul Halim says, and talk about the blessings of your Lord. The Mufti Taqiyan about the bounty of your Lord, do talk. And Muhsin Khan and proclaim the grace of your Lord. And he says in brackets, the prophethood and all of the graces. This is the final verse of this surah. And in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just as the Prophet was reminded of his wealth and reminded of how Allah Azza wa provided for him. In response now, Allah Azza wa is telling and ordering and commanding the Prophet to speak about the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to discuss them. And this is the position that Al-Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned. That what Allah Azza wa is saying to the Prophet is that he should speak about his blessings. And then he gives a number of examples as to what the scholars of tafsir consider to be those blessings that, is, that are being referred to. So Munjahid rahimahullah ta'ala said that it's referring to prophethood. And in another narration of his, Mujahid said that it's referring to the Qur'an. And, um, and uh, Abu Nadra said that the Muslims used to believe that one of the greatest ways of showing gratitude to Allah was to discuss the blessings that he had bestowed upon them. And Al-Hassan ibn Ali radiyallahu anhumah, it is said that he said that if you wake up and you are in good health and you do good deeds, then mention that to those people that you trust from amongst those who are close to you. Right? And that's a very important point. So when we speak, when we say speak about this, and we will mention this at the end in the statement of Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, but when it's talking about speaking and discussing this, it's not in a way to boast, nor is it to anyone and everyone. And so it's important to take the context of the Sharia with all of the, or this verse of the, of the Qur'an, with all of the context that the Sharia brings. So from those contexts is that if you're in a place where you think that people will be jealous, people will be envious, people will look upon you in a way that isn't good, with the evil eye and so on, that you don't mention it to them. So the verse, yes, it is general, but it is general with the understanding of all of the other contexts of the Sharia that we have, right? And this is the statement of Al-Hasan ibn Ali radiallahu anhumah saying that. Uh, and, and something similar is mentioned by another scholar from the Tabi'een by the name of Amr ibn Maymun, rahimahullah. He said that when you meet someone that you trust from your close friends, from your close brothers, then you can tell them even to the extent that you say to them that last night Allah allowed me, blessed me with being able to stand during the night and pray this many rak'ahs, right? And one of the reasons why the scholars say this is because the Prophet his salah was known. Now you can say that it was known because the companions had to know us by way of sunnah so that we understand what he did and what he didn't do. But at the same time, you also see from other companions and even from amongst the seraphs, it is reported in many, many narrations of how they would fast or how they would pray in Ramadan and how much Quran that they would read and how much sadaqah they gave and so on. Those are stories that are well known. And that is from speaking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's blessing. Uh, and Muqatil rahimahullah ta'ala said that Allah is saying to the Prophet discuss the blessings that he bestowed upon you in this surah, meaning that how Allah everything that he mentions is from his blessings to the Prophet how Allah helped him when he was an orphan, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him guidance, how Allah gave him wealth, all of this is from the ni'mah of Allah that the Prophet is being ordered to discuss, meaning that every blessing falls under this verse, every blessing of Allah falls under this verse, as Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin Ash-Shanqiti rahimahullah ta'ala said. 
that blessing in this verse is every blessing that Allah Azza wa has bestowed upon a person and that is wealth and that is good health and that is family and that is guidance and that is having Allah Azza wa divine uh, divine uh, help and care and, and, and victory and protection and it is everything else that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to a person so it's not just about religious stuff meaning that it's not just about the the blessings that Allah Azza wa has given to you in terms of Iman and Taqwa and knowledge but even general blessings so to discuss them with people that are close to you right and and and, and people that you trust and people that you know will only make dua and be happy for you and think good of you then that's something which is allowed and there's something which is recommended to do by way of reminding yourself and making shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and because it is a means of reminding them as well of Allah's favor and mercy and when you hear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's vast mercy then you are reminded to hope in that mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yourself and that's something which is established in the sunnah because you have a hadith of where the Bedouin man would come and the Prophet would be speaking about Allah's mercy and his vast mercy and forgiveness and the Arabs would be amazed, the Bedouin Arab would be amazed that this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and it would bring within them that sense of hope like the Bedouin man who once heard the Prophet say that Allah smiles so he said, O Messenger of Allah, do we have a Lord that smiles? and the Prophet said, yes so the Arab man said, then we will never despair from a Lord that smiles and that's an Arab Bedouin man who's uneducated, unread unversed doesn't have very or has very little knowledge of the of the Quran and the Sunnah and the Sharia but he understands through his fitrah through his natural iman and belief that Allah Azza wa has bestowed in his heart he understands from that the meaning of having a Lord that smiles having a Lord that is merciful and forgiving kind and generous subhanahu wa ta'ala and so the the you know the 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 meaning that that brings into you and and the what it brings to your heart is something which is amazing Ibn al-Qayyim he has some very nice statements concerning this last verse and I wanted to share them with you as by way of concluding this surah and, and, and the tafsir of this verse but by way of concluding this surah as well Ibn al-Qayyim says that Allah loves to see and this is mentioned in a hadith he loves to see the effects of his blessings upon his servants because that is also from showing Allah's gratitude and so it is mentioned that once the uh, Prophet came across a man who was very unkempt in the way that he was dressed, dressed down, very, very, very shabbily dressed. And the Prophet said, Has not Allah given to you enough that you can purchase clean clothes, buy good clothes? The man said, Yes, O oh Allah, O oh Messenger of Allah, and more than that, meaning that I have money, I have wealth. So the Prophet said that indeed Allah loves to see the effects of his blessings upon his servants. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and there is a difference again, because you have to understand this in the context of the sharia, between someone who goes all bling, right, all out, and they're showing off, and they're, and they're arrogant, and they're boasting, and that's one extreme. But the other extreme is what we call the, you know, the, the, um, the incorrect understanding of tasawwuf, and abstinence, and zuhud, and that is that a person has to dress and look and feel like they have no pennies to rub together, even though they are actually extremely wealthy at home, or they have a comfortable living anyway and so the Prophet would dress in a good way and he would dress in a way that was befitting of him and so that is also the way that the Muslim behaves Ibn Qayyim says because that is also from shukrul hal hal so one there are two ways he says of making shukr one is by speech and one is through your action 
the speech one is by uh, is by speaking right and saying alhamdulillah and praising allah azza wa jalla and thanking allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but the one through action or the one of just being in a state of being is when allah azza wa jalla, or when the the blessings of allah can be seen upon you the blessings of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be seen upon you he then mentions rahimahullah ta'ala the um, position of or the two positions amongst the scholars as to this verse and this is in essence a summary of the different uh, the different positions that we mentioned of Mujahid and Qatada and others and that is that one of those positions is <coughs> that, it, that you speak about every blessing that you have so it includes every blessing every blessing you have been commanded to speak about and to discuss obviously with those people that you trust and you don't fear from them harm and he says that this is mentioned in the hadith of Jabir radiyallahu anh that is collected in Al-Adab Al-Mufrad of Imam Al-Bukhari and other than that as well in some of the famous collections of hadith. And that is that the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that when someone does good to you, then repay them. And if you can't repay them, then speak good of them. Because the one who speaks good of someone else has thanked them. And if you are unable to do so, meaning that you don't speak good of them or you don't thank them, then you have rejected them. And whoever pretends to be something that they are not is, as, is, is like the one who is wearing a false item of clothing. Ibn al-Qayyim ta'ala says, therefore, when it comes to speaking about Allah's blessings, we are told in the Sharia that there are three types, three types of people and three types of uh, discussing Allah's blessings. Those who speak about them and praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for them, those who reject them and refuse them, meaning that they don't acknowledge that they are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those who remain quiet. Right? And he says, and there is no doubt that the one that is being praised, is praiseworthy in the sharia is the one who is the first, the one who speaks about them and the one that praises Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the blessings that they receive. He says the second position that you will find amongst the scholars is that what it's referring to, then it's referring to as an extension of the previous verse when we said that the one who questions you is the one who questions you about Islam and the religion then likewise when it comes to speaking about Allah's blessings meaning speaking about the blessings of religion of Iman and Quran and that's those are the statements of Mujahid that it's referring to the Quran referring to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam his Nubuwa so it's referring to calling people to Allah and teaching them and so on that's what it's referring to and those are the blessings that you speak about those are the ones that you share because those are the greatest blessings that Allah Azzawajal has bestowed upon any of us. The blessing of Iman and, and guidance and Quran and Sunnah and so on. And Imam Ibn Qayyim Ta'ala says, but the correct opinion is that it includes both. It includes both. And so both should be discussed and both are deserving of being shown gratitude to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for. And then he mentions, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, the difference, he says, between speaking about Allah's blessings and between being arrogant. He says the difference between the two is the one who speaks about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's blessings understands that they are from only the favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning that they have, that, that person has nothing to do with them, not through their own efforts, not through their own uh, ingenuity, not through their own skills or smarts or anything else. It is only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's blessings. It is only from Allah's generosity and kindness subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when he speaks about them, he speaks in a way that shows that humbleness, shows that gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, shows that it is Allah that is worthy of all of those 
of all of that praise and all of that thanks and gratitude subhanahu wa ta'ala and you see that right you see that in the way that someone speaks when someone speaks and they understand that what they have is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they praise Allah and they ascribe it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they use it in a way that shows the good that they have from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it reminds others of Allah azza wa jal right? it reminds others of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Ibn Qayyim goes on to say rahimahullah ta'ala as for the one who boasts then they use those blessings to look down upon others and to show that show off to them and that they are better than them or bigger than them or greater than them in some way and so it's as if they are walking upon them meaning treading upon their necks and upon their backs and they're doing it to show that those people are like servants to them right they're, they're looking down upon them treating them like they're the help or they are their servants and he says that is the difference between the two because Sometimes shaitan comes to us and says, no, you're going to become boastful. No, it's going to lead to arrogance and pride and so on. And the believer is the one who is able to sort out their own intention and heart and be able to distinguish between the two. Right? Otherwise, you fall into one extreme or the other. So shaitan saying to you, yes, stay away is arrogance. Okay, you stay away perhaps from the arrogance, but it is also then leading you to another, good, uh, another thing which is not good, and that is that you're not able to then implement this verse. Right? and speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's blessings. And so there is a balance in all of this. The balance is achieved by understanding what the shari meaning is, that when Allah says do this or don't do that, what it's referring to exactly, and then being able to sort that out in your own heart and in your own intention, so that you can ensure that you're doing the one that the sharia wants, and not the one as opposed to the one that the sharia does not want. And Allah knows best. And with that we come to the end of the tafsir of Surah Al-Duha. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. I'm going to take a couple of questions and then I just wanted to make a couple of comments regarding some of the feedback that I got on this survey. Uh, in the two readings of Taqhar, including the Shad version, which one is to repel in action? Which one is to repel in speech? If I remember correctly, the one with the Qaf is the one in action and the one with the Kaf is the one of speech. From what I remember now, and Allah knows best. Can one implement this eye by mentioning the blessing but not attaching it to oneself for protection against the hasad and evil eye? A sister was granted such and such by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's, uh, that's done if, if you fear the hasad and evil eye. So if you fear that you're speaking in front of, a pe- of people or it's a general group of people and you don't really know who those people are and so on. right? And, and maybe it's, you're, you're wary of some of them and, and maybe you're, you don't feel comfortable in front of some of them, then okay. But generally speaking, then no. Right, then you should speak about them. And many of our teachers would be open, in fact, in some in terms of some of their blessings, in terms of knowledge anyway, uh, because it was a way of encouraging them. So again, it depends on context. If you're speaking about, for example, uh, you know, someone um, someone speaking about the car that they have now or the, or the, I don't know, the house that they bought or something, that's very different to someone reminding others and speaking to them and saying, Allah Azza blessed me to go and study such and such and learn about such and such and benefit from the Quran. Because that's something which people don't usually feel jealousy over anyway. People, their nature is to feel jealousy over dunya and material aspects and things that they consider shows status amongst people. But generally speaking, you know, amongst most people, the deen isn't something which they covet in that way, which is a shame, obviously, in its own sense, but it's also the reality of people, that if you say, oh, that person memorized Qur'an, they don't really feel, you know, that's a big issue. You know, my son memorized Qur'an, okay, alhamdulillah, it sounds good. But you say, you know, my son got into Oxford University and so on, but your son didn't, now they, you know, now it's like a competition thing. And that's the way people's nature is, and Allah Azza wa knows best. Okay, let me just make a couple of comments regarding the... Um, 
the feedback that I got from from those of you that filled in the survey, um, the I was mashallah very pleased with the feedback that we got, and you know I want to mention a couple of the points, and and forgive me for not being able to mention all of them, but I wanting to address a couple of them, and maybe there will be another time and place where we will speak about this in more detail once I have uh, more responses back. Uh, generally speaking, it seemed that everyone was quite happy with the way that the class is going, with its pace, with its level of depth, generally speaking. And obviously there are people who had uh, you know, more to say or disagreed and so on, and that's okay. I'm talking about the general consensus because at the end of the day, we obviously have to go with what the majority kind of think and say. Uh, there were a couple of points that that that, uh, that I think were important to address. Number one, there was a big shout out to the transcribing team. Uh, MashaAllah, tabarakallah. I think people really appreciate not only the promptness of the notes, but the level of detail and dedication and time and commitment and care that is placed into them, whereas, whereby it's not just the transcribed notes, but the many offshoots of that as well. And the fact that that's now, alhamdulillah, also, uh, you know, kind of uh, passing over onto our other projects that we're doing, whether it's the Zimzim you're reading or the Tafsirs that we're doing in Ramadan and so on. Uh, so that's something which I, which I wanted to mention. And there was also a big shout out for all of the other team members who help behind the scenes in whichever way, shape or form. There's people that help us with the chat groups, there's people that help us with the technical side and so on. And so I think that it's important to mention from this, you know, since we're speaking about mentioning Allah as blessings to be have and to be surrounded by and to have the cooperation and help of people like that around you is from the greatest blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it always reminds me of the statement of Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala Imam al-Bukhari was asked and we all know his position and his 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 uh, dedication to this religion and what he left behind in terms of legacy Imam al-Bukhari was once asked we don't see you working oh Imam al-Bukhari how do you provide for yourself and for your family, and who commits your chores? You've got a family, you've got children, you know, like fathers and husbands, and you have 101 other jobs and, and, and chores to do and responsibilities. And so Imam al-Bukhari said that Allah Azza wa has blessed me with a group of friends and brothers that help me with all of that, meaning that they allow me to dedicate myself to knowledge, and they take care of many of those affairs for me. And I know people from our teachers and people that I know well from the shuyukh that Allah Azza wa blessed them in that way. They have around them such a good group of people that they allow them to focus on what they need to focus and I think that those people do so because they understand that what this person is going to leave behind in terms of the legacy and benefit for the ummah inshallah ta'ala and that they will have a portion of that reward for enabling them to do so and that type of foresight that type of vision that type of understanding that yes maybe perhaps I you know don't have the ability to do what needs to be done but there's someone who can and I will be a part of that khair for them. Imam al-Bukhari clearly had people like that and it is always humbling to think that every time we benefit from a single narration of Imam al-Bukhari, those, you know, as we often say, unsung heroes, those people that are unknown and, and we don't know their names and we don't, that Allah Azza wa Jal will help them. Right? They're the people that helped and they're the people that made possible by Allah's permission uh, what Imam al-Bukhari ta'ala achieved. So that's something which I wanted to mention. There were a few feedback points that, I, that I have, I'm taking on board and I'm thinking about. And to be honest, some of them are easier to implement as opposed to others. Um, you know, so one, for example, some, some of the feedback was that we want to go into more in-depth, uh, more in-depth detail concerning the Arabic language and the grammar of the verses and the Arabic nuances and so on. And the reason why I don't do stuff like that is because I don't know if that's something which will appeal to everyone and requires a certain level of understanding of the Arabic language and background, which isn't necessarily everyone's cup of tea. 
you know, despite the depth that we go into, there is so much more depth that is left. So some of you were saying that, you know, we appreciate your depth. And since you're doing this, you might as well, you know, do it properly if you're going to go in depth. Depth has levels as well. This is a depth to a certain level. And it's a level that, alhamdulillah, I think that we found a good balance in terms of being able to progress, but at the same time dealing with what we need to deal with. Um, you know, like, and so it's not, you know, I, I try to balance between the two, but things like going into the nuances of the Arabic language and qira'at and shahad qira'at and so on and so forth, it is mentioned in the books of tafsir and there are books of tafsir that are dedicated to this. I don't necessarily think or know that if this is the best way and Allah Azza wa knows best. Um, you know, also something which people mentioned was that they would like to see more tadabbur, uh, more reflection from myself and so on. So one of the things that we we had in mind when we started this is that there would be less tadabbur or not such a heavy, like there is still tadabbur and I try to bring some of that in, but to make it a focus of more of pristine and pure tafsir. And, and to enable people to make then their own tadabbur from that as well. And one of the things that we have to get used to doing and train ourselves to do is to be able to learn from scholars, principles and knowledge and the essence of that knowledge and how it's studied. And then to be able to take that and apply that ourselves. Don't be from those people who always wants to be spoon fed. Your, your, your tadabbur or your reflections are only the reflections of what you heard from a sheikh. Your contemplation of the Quran is only what you took from someone else. Your knowledge is only what you... That's always going to be someone else. You will never equip yourself to be your own student of knowledge, to be able to determine yourself. And so that's something which I, you know, that would be my sincere advice. Rather than drip being drip-fed every single time, we have done so much now in terms of the principles of tafsir and so, so much else that inshallah, at the very basic level of contemplation and reflection, it is something that you should be able to take on board yourself and to be able to do. And I think that that's something which inshallah ta'ala, over time, if you train yourself to do that, then you will find it to do. And we will do what we can when we can and as we can. But for me, the tafsir as, you know, quote-unquote actual tafsir is what I would prefer to focus on in the limited amount of time that we have. And as we progress, inshallah ta'ala, and these surahs get longer and we have more detail to cover, then clearly, uh, you know, we will be uh, hindered in terms of the progress that we, can, we make in terms of the depth of this class as well. Um, but anyway, I'm still waiting for more feedback, inshallah. And then once that's back, then maybe perhaps I will mention some of these points in more in more uh, detail. And some of the other stuff, you know, I think are valid points. One of the, uh, some of the feedback is like the videos are not labeled correctly in terms of which verses do we start at, which verse do we stop at, which surah we're on and so on. And that's a fair point. I, I actually agree with that and it's something which I have mentioned before. I think our labeling system could do with a great deal of improvement. And inshallah, I hope, now that's something which we can do, inshallah, maybe even over the summer break. Uh, it's just because the team is so stretched and so busy. And obviously, we QP is only half of what we do. LP is the same team in terms of the technical team and the people that do all of this stuff. And so there's always things that need to be improved. There's apps and there's portals. And, and so there's always something that needs to be done. So that's definitely something which, you know, the time stamping, the the the, the, the headings, the, the you know, all of that kind of stuff, titling, or titling of stuff is something which I think is a very fair point. And something which we which should be done. Um, another person or someone else or a few people mentioned, you know, having more interaction and and giving out more like research questions and so on, which we did some of, and I think more of this year than we have done previously. Um, obviously, these are slightly different uh, circumstances at the moment that we're in, but I would like to hear more of your feedback. So, if you're one of those people that have yet to fill in the survey, you know, how you think we can make this more interactive? The portal, unfortunately, is somewhat 
limited in the way that we can do this. So we don't have the ability, for example, to do like a Zoom call where I, where I can hear you and so on. I don't even know who's on, like the portal doesn't allow us to know. You see what I see and I see what you see. Only if someone types in the chat or the comments do we know that that person's with us. We don't actually know how many people there are live with us and who it is and, and so on. And so that also makes it difficult. And then the delay in terms of me speaking to you, you hearing that there's a few second delay, then you typing in, and then, you know, it's like dead air. There's a lot of dead air if we if we do it like that as well. So I think, I personally think that's something that can be improved as well. But again, that's a technical thing. The portal is the way that it is. And uh, But inshallah, maybe, maybe perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us a way or an ability out. And again, that's one of the reasons why we're going to be asking for volunteers. You know, maybe that's your expertise. Maybe your expertise is to dealing with the technical stuff and you can help with that in one way or another. But anyway. Jazakumullah khairan and inshallah ta'ala as we said next week 8.30 bithnillah ta'ala and we will do our final lesson which will be on the biography of Sheikh Sa'di ibn Sa'di as well as a brief look at his methodology in his tafsir inshallah ta'ala as a run-up to our reading and commentary of his tafsir in the month of Ramadan bithnillahi ta'ala wa sallallahu ala nabi Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh